Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we discuss an oft-forgotten installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself. I'm one of yours, Corey, and with me, I've got Liam. Do you think it's possible that we are so insane that one day we will wake to find ourselves in straitjackets? Damn, that's good. That's a really good one. Uh, it's the only one I had, so hopefully. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, Mitch, you have returned from Estonia, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, how was that? Well, it was all right. I mean, they, were, they sick the dogs on me when I was going. The, the dogs? And, yeah, now I have to go to a, uh, you know, to a hospital and they're getting that checked out because it's a very serious matter when an Estonian guard dog bites you. And so that's that's a whole ordeal. Um, <sighs> I'm thinking about pressing charges, but it it's, it's might not be a good idea since I escaped and that would, you know, right, show kind of give you away. Who knows? Maybe they would send the Estonian Secret Service to come and get me. Yeah, we don't want that. No, they're pretty ruthless. I believe it. They've kind of got a reputation over there. Um, that said, did you have anything from the any lines from the movie you wanted to give? I just wanted to get our listeners. I do. Up. What a lovely throat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my line was also just. Actually, I also have a note that just says, bro, he says, what a lovely throat. And then, <laughs> and then my it's quote... It's not the only movie I heard that quote in this week. Uh, my quote is, it is a strange castle. Is uh, is Nancy Reagan in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> throat goat, baby. <laughs> Pour one out. She died this week, right? Yeah, that's rest, what all the big rest news in is. Peace to the one true throat goat. <laughs> uh, speaking of throat goats, you guys want to talk about Dracula? Yes, yeah, I'm down. <laughs> the ultimate throat goat. Um, so Mitch, before you had your ordeal, um, you did pick this particular movie, uh, Nosferatu the Vampire, or. Yeah. In the original German, which I said with great joy last week, Nosferatu Phantom der Nacht. Yeah, very fun. Why did you want us to watch Nosferatu Phantom der Nacht? Well, actually, I was just able to like squeeze out this message that this is the movie I wanted to see immediately before the Estonian Secret Service sacked me and then took me to that institute. Um, Like it was it was instantaneous at the moment I put down my phone. They must have been watching. And uh, so I, 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 I'm so glad that I, I finally got those words in to watch this movie because this movie is very uh, special to me. I've probably seen this film about three times, three or four times. And um, I'm a big Herzog fan. And I like his collaborations with Klaus Kinski, even though Kinski's kind of a... <laughs> real piece of, of shit. A real piece of shit about, about like the biggest piece of shit in movies you might be able to find. I think he's a strong contender and that's, that's a tall list. Uh, but I'd say he probably lands in like the top, at least the top 10, top 15. Why? Oh, just go to his Wikipedia page, man. I mean, in addition to just being difficult to work with, there's a, there's allegations against him. Um, there's also just like all sorts of stories of onset antics that are inexcusable. Um, if you want to talk about an actor who has kind of like a legendary lore surrounding him for being difficult, I think Kinski's at the top of the pile. Um, he made several movies with Werner Herzog. Kinski was, I'm 
like an, an unstable dude. Like I, I think he in the fifties in, in, in Vienna, I think he like followed a woman and stabbed her and then was like put in a mental institution. And, uh, that's, that's almost correct. It, it was, he had tried to strangle her. Okay. Okay. But everything else was right. I don't, I don't remember the exact details. I'm kind of just like flying by the seeds of my pants. I pulled it up cause I figured it might come up. Yeah. So he did that, but also like his onset. So he was like definitely like mentally unstable and like with a known, um history of violence in some of his uh movies he would be like really cruel to the set on and i think it was during aguirre the wrath of god it might have been fitz that he had a winchester rifle and they were shooting in south america and he was so furious that he just like fired it into a tent where like the cast and crew were inside and i think it it took off someone's finger um just a, a, a legendary for his onset antics and and Herzog had a method when he was directing Kinski in a lot of these sort of angrier roles he would kind of like whip him up into a fury and then he would just let the cameras roll and he would her like uh, Kinski would just freak out and uh, he would capture it on camera um yeah, there's so, simply no way it's a healthy working relationship no for there's either not of them. actually uh Later in life, Herzog made a, a film. I think it was after Kinski had had died because he died in ninety one, and and then Herzog made My Best Friend in nineteen ninety nine, which is about his relationship with Klaus Kinski and just sort of like all the bullshit they got into. And what, one more they... slight correction from Wikipedia: Oh, My Best Fiend, excuse me. Yeah, um, or in the German, uh, My Dearest Foe. <laughs> my dearest foe. Yeah. So he's uh they have a very sure, tumultuous man. relationship and Kinski was like a big <laughs> sort of a big um star in lots of westerns lots of westerns i, I really like like the he's in a few he's in it for a few dollars more by sergio leone he's also in the great silence which is an incredible spaghetti western it's like got the most nihilistic ending i've ever seen well i watched it at the mayfair and everybody was literally silent when it ended it was the great silence when the great silence had ended uh a very powerful actor but a very flawed person and uh yeah to say nothing as we've gotten yeah. to of the sexual abuse allegations from one of his children yes yeah actually so, i think i think later more of them came out yeah it's all it's all bad it's yeah. bad all the way down so but, a very uh, bad dude and i'm glad that we're kind of addressing that i think it's important to get to that off rip certainly yeah, yeah. but yeah um definitely and and I guess an interesting actor. Or, I don't even know. He's 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 like a force of nature. He's he is uh, like a like a storm, like a like an unwelcome fever. But he uh, he definitely turns in some wild roles. And then this, so this one was just a movie that you already had like a bit of like a relationship with. Essentially, you'd seen it a few times. So you were yeah, like, yeah. Let's, I let's toss asked, that on the old pod fire. You asked why I why I picked this movie, and then I just went on a rant about Kinski. Um, but uh yeah i i i think this might be one of my favorite renditions of like the dracula story like based off of of bram stoker's text i mean it's kind of like a remake of the of the 20s one i suppose and in form uh it has a lot of german expressionism kind of going for it and the one by fw murnau in the 20s uh the vampire in that movie bears a striking resemblance um so I think it's I think it's like one of the great vampire movies and I love Herzog's sort of documentary style. So I had to I had to pick this. 
and uh, I'm glad we're getting to it. And uh, in our previous Dracula discussion, I believe we went over our sort of like history and familiarity with like Dracula and the story and like the the adaptations and whatever. But do you guys want to give like? Yeah, do you guys want to give like a Cole's notes version of your relationship with Dracul? Mine is that um, I haven't read the book. I have seen Nosferatu um, a few years ago. I don't remember much about it. My introduction to Nosferatu was uh, that SpongeBob episode where the walls of the Krusty Krab ooze green slime. That was mine too. Um, I have seen Bram Stoker's Dracula because of this podcast. And uh, I've seen a few other vampire movies here and there, but but even so, still, I bet you know if I sat down for ten minutes and and thought hard enough, I could probably say every vampire movie I've seen. Whereas you know other subgenres, I, I definitely couldn't do that for. So I'm not super well versed. I'm uh, I'm more of a werewolf guy. If I had to pick mm-hmm. a monster, um, but I. Uh, I do love throats, so I, I was excited to uh, to check this out. And I and I like uh, Werner Herzog too. I mean, I haven't seen much of his stuff, but he seems like a really cool dude. His filmography is so vast, which is cool. Um, I like his documentary Grizzly Man. I like his presence. I like that video where he talks about uh, skateboarding. Um, I don't think I've seen the video where Werner Herzog talks about skateboarding. What does he say? He's just like watching videos of people skateboard. Um, (laughs) I think a skateboard magazine interviewed him. And so he's just kind of talking about like... How did they get him? (laughs) I I think they were interviewing him for some sort of documentary he made. I mean, the dude is so prolific. So maybe there was some connection. (laughs) But he he just kind of watches the skate clips and then talks about how he can see the passion in it and he relates it to filmmaking i think it's really cool oh um, my god that's so i, I want to see that. more of his stuff like i've i've been wanting to see fitz Caraldo for a long time and i haven't yeah. seen it i think the only film of his i have seen is um grizzly man so this this was pretty new to me but i've seen nosferatu i've uh i've read joe hill's book which is called nosferatu um and uh, I have now seen Bram Stoker's Dracula, so I kind of knew what I was in for. Cool. And Mitch, are you a big uh, Dracul man? Yeah, yeah. So I I read the book years ago when I was a kid, and I actually I revisited it not too long ago. Um, I'm a big I'm a big Dracula fan. I've seen countless movies. Honestly, I, I don't even know where to begin. I've seen all like the old. Uh, classics like the Todd Browning one from uh, from the 1930s, 1931. I've also seen the Spanish language one from 1931. I've seen um, just honestly like most of the big adaptations and some of the ones that are sort of more off the beaten path. Like, uh, what is it? Uh, Dracula AD 1972, where he comes back in the 70s. It's a British movie. It's kind of hilarious. I love the Hammer Horror movies. Um, I'm a big fan of the silent film as well from 1922 by F.W. Murnau. Um, I don't believe they actually had the rights to make that movie. So that's why it's called Nosferatu and not Dracula. Um, but I went to see th- that um, at at the Mayfair as well, actually. And they had uh, uh, a musical accompaniment. And the guy who was well, it was really just one guy playing a theremin. And it was incredible. 
Um, oh, dude, I think I saw the theremin guy perform for um, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Yeah, I, I have yeah, to imagine it was the same theremin guy. Yeah, I interviewed him in his hotel room. He was really sweet. He was <laughs> nice. Well. Yeah, yeah, it was a wonderful performance. So I've seen like countless Dracula films. I, Liam said he's more of a werewolf guy. I'm more of a vampire guy. You guys should watch Twilight together. Yeah. Oh, we'd fight. We wouldn't we'd make it to the end. Pick sides. Fight. Corey, <laughs> one of us would make it to the end. I don't know about the other one. Whoever what? wins, we lose. <laughs> what kind of guy are you, Corey? Are you able to tie break or are you just like a you're a gill man guy? If you're a Frankenstein guy, get the fuck out. <laughs> I'm yeah. definitely not a gill man guy. I don't fuck with the gill men. What about personally. the mummy? Yeah, the mummy. See, I take a mummy. Mummies are fine. You but know? would you take the mummy over vampires and werewolves? <laughs> Like, I don't know. I don't know if I'd go that far. I I think I've probably seen more vampire movies than anything of the ones that we've listed. But I might be maybe a little bit. Maybe I'm a little bit more of a werewolf guy. Maybe. Let's go. Yeah. I mean, I, we all saw Teen Wolf also. How could you not love that? Oh, man. Maybe I'm not a werewolf guy. Those <laughs> yeah, movies sucked. That movie sucked so bad. And the, I didn't even like the original, bro. So what can I yeah. say? It's testing your faith. <laughs> That's not right. Unlike yeah. Nosferatu. Um, yeah, I've seen a couple Draculas, you know. A couple. Of, I've never read it. Um, who's got time? But I've definitely got Ruining. like, yeah, fuck that. I'm here for the images, bro. Um, I've definitely got like some familiarity, but I'm not like an over the moon. Like I just like I don't go, I don't fuck with like Dracula the long way. Like it's not like we don't go way back to like childhood or whatever. Um, have you guys seen interview with? No, no, that's sorry, that's not what I want to talk about. Um, Shadow of the Vampire, Willem Dafoe. No, no, I haven't. That sounds so cool to me. I think it's like, a, from what I've heard, it's like a meta horror movie about the making of Nosferatu, but it turns out that those are bats behind me, but it turns out that the dude playing Nosferatu, who I think is Willem Dafoe in the movie, is actually a vampire. It sounds so cool, and I, I really want to see that one. Yeah, maybe, that. maybe it would count for the podcast at this rate. Maybe I'll whip that one out. We are playing it pretty fast and loose at this point. So, like, I think we can be open to that. I feel like this might be the first time on the podcast that we've done a movie that, to me, feels like a remake of another movie that we've done. Even though that's not the case, and this one came before Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula, the two feel so similar. I can't think of an instance where we did a movie and it felt like I had seen this movie before just because we've seen something that adapted the same source material i mean yeah, even, even I carrie we, we did we did carrie too which which felt more um more yeah. original and then we and then we did here. like 2006 carrie but we never did og carrie mm -hmm. mm -hmm. that's not like if if we if we did rules. like carrie from 2013 then then i think it would it would classify but in this case it, it kind of felt like deja vu like it, it, it was sim very similar to um uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, even though this one was Nosferatu. Mitch, are you able to talk about like what the deal is with uh, Nosferatu and like how he relates to Dracul? Yeah, so uh, Nosferatu is a uh, is a film by uh, F. W. Murnau, right? Um, it's a it's a silent film. You've seen it. 
Um, I believe the the reason why it's called Nosferatu is uh, is because it's well, it's a German word for uh, for vampire. I, I, I understand it correctly, if memory serves. Uh, it is? But they also didn't have the rights to the to like the the story uh, by Bram Stoker. By then, it was like still a fairly young story, and so. Um, uh, as as a result, like the the vampire in that movie is named Count Orlock, um, not Dracula, and uh, yeah, I, if memory serves, I think it's just because uh, Nosferatu means vampire. I'm just gonna look that up. Yeah, it's a it's a archaic Romanian word synonymous with vampire, and so. In this particular case, like in the movie, um, like he's Count Dracula, but like, is he also Nosferatu or is Nosferatu just like a descriptor because he's clearly a vampire? No, Nosferatu just means vampire. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We've already talked a lot about Werner Herzog, but we are going to talk about him some more. Good. Uh, in the uh, cast and crew segment of this particular uh, podcast, which is coming up, if you can believe it, right now. So uh, this cast and crew is kind of like the Werner Herzog boys. So it's written and directed by Werner Herzog. Uh, as we've talked about uh, Fitzcarraldo, though, um, Mitch, you'll know. The Wrath of God. How do I say the first word of that? Aguirre. Wrath. Aguirre. Oh, well, well actually, I guess it would have been the. If, if <laughs> Aguirre, the Wrath of God, uh, Into the Inferno, Grizzly Man, Heart of Glass, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. The Mandalorian. <laughs> he gets around. What the heck? Or, or as my mom calls it, the Mandolin. <laughs> uh, yeah, on season one and maybe more, but definitely season one of Mandalorian, uh, Werner Herzog is the bad guy who wants Baby Yoda. <laughs> what the heck? Like in Dude, that Star Wars TV show? Yes, his Yoda? career, his acting career, is so bizarre. He was on. He did a voice on Metalocalypse. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, dude, his acting credits are crazy. <laughs> he seems like a really cool guy. Even just looking at pictures of him, um, I mean, this is no way to judge someone, but looking at pictures of him, he just like looks like a warm fellow who I want to talk to. Mm-hmm. I, I hope I don't mind it because I know you're getting into the cast and crew, but I want to circle back on something that I said. Okay. Um, so I was talking about how the, how, they, how the original one from the 20s was an unauthorized uh, adaptation. And uh, Bram Stoker's heirs actually sued uh, the filmmakers over making that movie in 1922. And the court ruling actually ordered that all copies of the film be destroyed. But uh, evidently, they didn't get all of them because we can still watch it today. (laughs) Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. Also, fuck the law. Am I right? Yeah. Fuck the law. Just give me vampires. I fought the law and the vampires won. Good thing the werewolves didn't win. Vampires one, werewolves zero. <laughs> uh, the editor is, uh, and I'm certainly going to say the next couple names, some variation of incorrect, and I apologize for that. Uh, Beta Menka Jellinghouse is the nice. editor. My favorite. Uh, Fitzcarraldo, Aguirre, The Wrath of God, The Enigma of Casper Hauser, and a movie that has a very long title. In danger and dire distress, the middle of the road leads to death. Huh. That sounds like an emo song title. It really does. <laughs> it really, really does. 
the cinematography is by Jorg or maybe Jorg. I'm going to go with Jorg. It's uh, Jorg. Jor- it is Jorg. That's, that's how you pronounce that name. Yeah. Jorg Schmidt Reitwein, who uh, worked on Heart of Glass. Also, uh, something called Marmarira. Marmarira. Yep, that's right. And also something called Erotic Tales 3, which I'm sure is about throats. That's a oh, pod contender. Gosh, that is it a is. big time that's, pod that's contender. That's why I wrote it down. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Erotic Tales 2 is far too obvious, but... No one knows about the third one. They no. actually completed the trilogy. The story has been concluded. Yeah, it would be like doing like a... Oh, wait, what's that horror movie that we were going to do that's like the fifth sequel and it's about like witches for some reason? Silent Night, Deadly Night? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this year. Um, there's two uh, composers, musicians credited. We've got Florian Frick, Aguirre, The Wrath of God, and Popol Vuh. Vitzcarraldo, Aguirre, The Wrath of God, Heart of Glass. So Werner Herzog's just got his boys with him. Yeah. Um, starring uh, Klaus Kinski, as we as we talked about. Uh, obviously a bunch of Werner Herzog credits, but also uh, for a few dollars more. Great Silence, a bunch of other westerns. Uh, also a movie called Coffin Full of Dollars, which is pretty badass. Um, fun fact, because I get to now talk about cat people for a second. Um, his daughter is the lead actress in Cat People so I get to just mention that because if I don't um, I think the poster that I have on my wall of Cat People comes alive and tries to kill me no. so it's, it's funny oh, go, ahead. go ahead Mitch I was going to say it's funny because Kinski has a reputation for turning down some of like the best films ever made uh, <laughs> like, he's in a lot of really good ones but I believe he turned down a role in, in in uh actually no no he's in he's in dr zhivago I'm, I'm pretty sure but he turned down raiders of the lost dark and he called it he called the script a yawn making boring pile of shit and moronically <laughs> shitty <laughs> moronically that's just like how shitty. he talked about everything he hated everything and everyone <laughs> he is in dr zhivago yeah he is in dr zhivago small role Isabel Adjani plays uh, Lucy. Uh, she is in Possession, which I feel like is a movie that people have started talking a lot about in the last couple of years. Yeah, I love that movie. That's um, Her performance in that has to be like top 10 performances I've seen in my life. It, it makes me think of uh, um, Cheryl Lee's performance in uh, Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. Uh, oh, Laura Palmer. Praise. Yeah. Corey, you remember? Oh my gosh! Yeah, it, it, it has. She goes to that level of of madness, um, and and trauma, and it's it's amazing. Yeah, damn. I'll have to check that out. I've been meaning to watch Possession. Yeah. Have you seen that one, Mitch? I haven't seen Possession. No, I'm. I'm thinking of like of. Uh, oh wait, no, Possession. The uh, that's uh, that's set in Berlin, right? Yeah, yeah, it's big time Mitchcore. Yeah, no, I have seen that movie. That's an incredible movie with it's the big time Mitchcore. The the fucking meat grinder scene and like the also like the scene with like the like I guess it's like a, a miscarriage of sorts in in like that underpass. That is like a jarring movie. I think that movie is like if you want to pick a movie to write about and write about sort of critically in like a short blurb, that movie is an impossible task. It's impossible to describe. It goes off in so many different directions and you can't trust anything, but it's an astonishing film. I love that movie. 
Yeah, Tight. it's it's awesome, and it has Jurassic Park guy in it. Corey, yeah, Sam Neil, like who would have Newman? It's, oh, no, not Newman. Yeah, what oh my gosh, what if Newman was the lead? That would be amazing. <laughs> it's got fucking Sam Neil in there. Yeah, yeah he's hard. he's the lead besides her. Um, we've got the that dude. We've got the homie Bruno Gans in this movie playing a uh, Jonathan. Uh, he's in. Uh, actually, Liam, d- does this name ring a bell? Do you kn- do you know Bruno Gans at all? Say it a bit slower. Bruno Gans. G A N Z. No. So you ever see that clip of Hitler? And he's like very upset. Oh yeah, the the one that would get memed all the time in two thousand eight, and he would react to different things like Nathan leaving the show Misfits. Yeah, so that's Bruno Gans. Oh yeah, I love that guy. Um, but also he's in uh, Wings of Desire, which is a movie everybody should watch. IMO. Mm. Vim Vendors going absolutely crazy in the chat. I actually mentioned Bruno Gans a couple weeks ago when we were doing the Ripley episode and I talked about the American Friend. He's in that movie as well. He doesn't play Ripley. Dennis Hopper does, but yeah. He's in the house that Jack built for a more recent example. Oh, I like that movie. So he plays Jonathan, eh? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't like him. Oh. Yeah, I'll save it, but yeah. Uh... The last few credits I didn't go super deep diving on, uh, largely because I did not give myself enough time to do that. So I'm just going to rattle these off. Uh, Roland Topor is Renfield. Walter Leidengast is uh, Van Helsing. Dan Van Hoosen is the Warden. Jan Groth is Harbor Master, uh, who is my favorite person in Aquaman. Uh, Car- <laughs> You'll never be Harbor Master. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have I've been laughing about that all day now. Uh Carter I, I shouldn't have gone ahead and told the funniest <laughs> joke of all time. Uh Karsten Bodinus is Schrader. I don't even know how to say this name. How do you say a name that is spelled M A R T J E? Martin. <laughs> sure. That sounded good. Marte Groman plays Mina. Uh Rick DeGoyer is town official. And Clemens Scheitz is Clark. Now that was a performance. Oh, well. he saved the movie. Everybody loves Clark. Um, and uh, so the movie's Dracula. You know, if you know Dracula, you know Dracula. Uh, a mysterious count uh, wants to buy a house somewhere else, and uh, they send a guy over there to get the real estate deal done. But everybody's like, hey, I wouldn't go over there. Shit's fucked up and it's haunted. There are vampires and ghosts and ghouls and goblins. And he's like, eh, I don't think so. And then, uh-oh, <laughs> vampire time. And uh, everything gets very bad for all of the people in his life. And in this particular case, it does, in fact, spread the Black Plague. Um, so there's a lot of reasons to maybe not do an interview with a vampire. If you know what I mean. It's Dracula. You know Dracula. We all know Dracula, right? Yeah, yeah, I've heard of him. Let's start with Mitch, because I think I imagine I might know where Mitch is going here if he's seen it a bunch. But what is your what's your take on all the Nosferatu? I love this movie. Uh yeah. and that's why I picked it. 
it's a, a wonderful film. It's, I think only Herzog could have made the movie the way he did. It's uh, an astonishing collection of performances. It's a really uncomfortable film to watch just visually um, with how it sort of is tied to the tradition of German expressionism. Um, it's, I think Herzog's sort of skill in documentary really, really comes through too. Cause there's, he's always preoccupied with sort of, uh, a naturalistic aesthetic and this whole, mo- and also just like themes of nature and the fact that you can't really summit nature and, and, uh, you know, the vanity of people who do. And this film is about sort of the natural colliding with the unnatural. And I think that's a really strong suit and very compelling. I think I love how quiet this movie is. It's, it's, Again, since it's sort of a remake of a silent movie in a way, a spiritual successor makes sense. Um, some of the images are so evocative. I think some of the most evocative we've seen in a in a Dracula film, uh, and very distinct, very uh, Germanic. Not not like a lot of like the more uh, like polished ones from from the thirties. It's it's uh, its own thing, and I think uh, Kinski gives an, a really good performance here. Say what you will about him, but it's a, it is a really astonishing performance. Very very scary um, and really just unnerving to see him, how he moves through a screen and how he becomes completely inhuman in his character. Uh, I do think the film has some problems. I, I feel like some of those problems are just my problems with, with the Dracula script in general. And I feel like it always starts on a really extraordinary note, going to that rural Transylvanian village and getting getting the... The, the crucifix from from like a, a bunch of peasants and then kind of going into the castle and the relationship with the count and that's all very strong but i've always felt that the dracula narrative kind of falls apart in the last act and oftentimes i find the ending of the dracula f- movies to be pretty unsatisfying either he gets a stake through the heart or he you know stays out too long in the sun and that's kind of that i've always found them to be have a bit of an anticlimactic ending or or if it's not anticlimactic, it, it it just sort of goes in uh, directions that I don't like and I find it drags. But uh, for my money, I think this is one of the best, if not the best, uh, Dracula adaptation. And there's, there's so many things I have to say about this movie, but I'm going to leave it there, I think, other than, than uh, just how evocative the imagery is. It's, it's uh, for me the best looking Dracula movie. And I think narratively and aesthetically, probably the best too. Liam time to find out if you're going to be the opposite end of this spectrum or not based on your most recent point. What did you make about Nosferatu? The vampire, the vampire. Um, how do we make it that far without saying vampire? (laughs) Dracul. I echo the last part of what Mitch said. Um, (laughs) And so I think that that reverberates outwardly more than for me, more than it did for Mitch and, and affects how I feel about this movie. Um, I come away feeling underwhelmed by this Mm. movie. Um, And that doesn't really come from the, the filmmaking, because I agree that I really liked um, 
the visuals i some of the shots like look so cool where you've got this practical effect monster um nosferatu and they really make him look a lot like he does in the 1920s version and so to see that figure um with different lighting and color um moving a bit smoother than the film could do back then i thought it was really enchanting um it it felt like a like um like i was like time traveling and seeing the 1920s film in, in an updated fashion so that that was really cool um but as for the story i i just i found myself wishing that it wasn't a straight up adaptation of Nosferatu and 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 by extension um I, I hope some people out there aren't getting upset at me every time I say Nosferatu instead of Nos I go back and forth um I uh I I wish by ex- I I wish that it wasn't such a straightforward adaptation of uh the Dracula book as, as my fiance was describing to me, cause she has read the book and she said this was very accurate. And to me, it felt like the story was very similar to the 1920s Nosferatu. It also felt very similar um, in terms of the main narrative to Bram Stoker's Dracula by Francis Ford Coppola. Um, and I, I think I'm just over that story. I just don't want to see it get told over and over i think i'm just not really a dracula guy and so um i just wanted this to be a a different movie perhaps by the same people um Mm. you know i'm not put off klaus kinski in fact i loved his performance i spent the whole movie thinking that klaus kinski was jonathan i didn't know that he was playing that he was playing dracula jonathan doesn't think a fucked up dude yeah, yeah. I, well, I just no. I just I thought I knew Klaus Kinski was the main guy in this movie, and I thought that that meant he was Jonathan. And I, ah. I'm not that familiar with what Klaus Kinski looks like. Um, and He's so a bit I of a th- weird looking guy. And I think I think uh, Bruno Gans kind of looks weird in this movie. Um, and Everybody's so just I, kind of ugly. <laughs> <laughs> All the men. And so yeah, so I thought that was Klaus Kinski, and and I thought. Man, I I don't like Klaus Kinski. It turns out because I I did not like Jonathan's performance. I thought that him and Renfield. I thought both of them felt very out of place compared to what Isabel and Claus were doing in their two main roles. I thought that it was um, over the top, whereas the other two felt much more grounded. Even though the material they are doing is otherworldly you know um lucy spends so much of this movie in like a um a trance and and having a a sort of breakdown yeah and so her eyes are wide and she's playing it very big but but i felt much more attached to her emotionally than i could be with like renfield's constant laughing like that felt like a like a a community college theater performance to me Um, i agree i'm not crazy about the renfield here yeah. And so that combined with this story that I have seen before and 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 had a tough time getting um very invested in made this um an enjoyable watch but not a uh, a movie that I would say I I loved um and and 
there are some moments where I'm like, this could be a movie I love, but it it just feels a bit too plain face to me. Like even Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I didn't mm-hmm. all the way love, I thought that took really big swings and has also some amazing imagery and also has just a really cool kind of campy tone of voice to it. And so I was more taken by that movie just because of its of its weirdness. Um, whereas this one was, as, as I said, a bit a bit underwhelming to me. Um, mm-hmm. So, so that's that. That would be what I say for it for now. I think this movie does take big swings, but we can get into that. I want to hear what Corey has to say first. Mm-hmm. I agree that the movie takes big swings. I'll say that. Um, this movie took me a bit to to get. Like, I didn't really know what he was going for. You know, like I wasn't. I think Mitch did a good job sort of explaining like the like the naturalistic sort of like not strictly human element, but like earthly element coming up against like the supernatural element and how that's being communicated in like photography and stuff. Like a lot of that's there. But it took me a while to really grapple onto like what he was doing. Even at the beginning of the movie, I was sort of like I couldn't even tell like what time period it was supposed to be. Um after the shots of the mummies stop, I was like, did they set this in the 70s? It just looked like a normal ass town. And then, but they're not dressed like that. And I was like, oh, this is kind of bizarre. Like, I didn't really get it. And then he goes out and he travels and it feels like a tourist video a little bit. Uh, Though I will say that that actually ends up being some of my favorite stuff here. I think this music's great in that sequence. The music music, is great generally, but I think this is a really interesting movie. And there's some stuff about it that I think is really cool. I think there's a lot of like sort of enigmatic components to it that I feel like only Herzog could really kind of deal but I do echo the sentiment of like, I don't know if this is the most compelling telling of the story. I And I don't know if this is going to make sense because like, I think it's visually interesting at times. Like it's got some cool imagery and some great location scouting and the performances can be really like enigmatic and interesting, but I don't know if that comes together with everything else to culminate into like, something that makes me more interested in Dracula than I would otherwise be. Because yeah, I think like the, the overall just a narrative thrust leaves something to be desired, but given the kind of filmmaker that Werner Herzog is and how much his like documentary filmmaking is like on display here in that particular sort of brand of filmmaking, I'm not really surprised that that would be the part that felt weak to me relative to the rest of it. So like, it's certainly good and it's well made and there's stuff about it that I think is great, but some of it just kind of does not hit. Yeah, no, I hear you. I think, and Liam, we were, t- was kind of talking about how, um, it's kind of by the numbers and, and while this, and by the numbers of like the, you know, the, the limitations of the narrative and while it does do that, it also drops, I think, a lot of the fat that the original story has. There's all these sort of sequences where the Count sort of uh, comes over and they meet him at a ball and then he's like not seen in a mirror and blah, blah, blah. It goes on and on and on. And um, we have a much sort of uh, less sociable vampire here than we see in a lot of the movies. This Dracula doesn't really go out in public. He sticks to the shadows and kind of lurks. And everything that's sort of built around this character, the hanging, the dialogue that seemingly hangs in the air f- forever and the way that he kind of like creaks and moves. It's, it's all meant to suggest this sort of unnatural um, thing, right? 
uh, the, this unnatural presence. You did t- you did touch briefly on the mummies, Corey, and I actually wanted to talk about that. Um, I, don't, I don't get the mummies. I'm sorry, I don't get it. <laughs> No, and like the opening sequence with the yeah, mummified no, bodies. No, but what I'm saying is like, I don't get it. Like, I don't get why he did that. Like, I don't know why it's here. Like, I look at the opening and I'm like, I don't understand what he's trying to tell me with the mummies. So he actually shot that in Mexico. Uh, there was a, a cholera epidemic in this one town in 1833. And these mummified bodies are on just public display at a museum. And uh, so he just visited it in the 60s. And then he returned later in the 70s. And uh he took the corpses out of a glass case and propped them up against a wall to film them. Was he allowed to do that, or is he just a fucking wild card? He's Bernard Herzog. He makes his own fucking rules. He does. That's true. Yeah, I mean, he, he offered a master class in, in filmmaking, and one of the, one of the I guess, uh, core Did components... Did you watch the Bernard Herzog master class? Yeah. One of, no, how no, I didn't. I just read about it. it. Yeah, because he he filmed like most of Fitzcarraldo on on forged documents in South America. Based, <laughs> yeah, very based. Um. <laughs> well, to to uh, provide an answer to to your musings, yeah, why does it start like that? I just took it to be um, a real life illustration. You know, as Mitch was saying, it is, it is, it's real um, sort of documentary footage. So I took it to be real life illustration of just like death and the afterlife and, and how uh, some bodies can be um, held over and maybe keep on living in a way. Um, so this idea of like the the afterlife and and a body mm-hmm. continuing to live after it's dead and stuff that's that's yeah. how I was thinking of it. One yeah, one thing that I, I I do think that's quite interesting about about this movie and that I mean the whole film is just kind of dripping with like this sense of of death and fate. And one of the interesting things about this movie is how um, Kinski's character. Uh, the Nosferatu doesn't have really any agency or, or choice. In fact, Kinski himself said that he thought that Dracula in this movie was more sympathetic because he has no free will. He can't choose. Right. And so this film does kind of like deftly navigate that. And, um, can he not there's lots of dialogue about, about sort of, does he not what can he not like, what can't he choose? He can't. He can't really choose what he wants to do. He's a force of nature, just kind of um, like compelled. Oh, but like you just is, mean like there like is vampire a vampire conceptually? Because I'm like, I mean, he definitely chose yeah. some version of why he did what he did. Like, yeah, I mean, he does. He does he leave who his, and his castle in Transylvania for for Britain. Like immediately when the deal is finalized, before Jonathan can even say Donkishen, you know, I mean, he's there, but. Um, it's interesting. Uh, Kinski thought that, and I, I I see that as well in some of the dialogue that that he kind of delivers, uh, where he's talking about being alive forever, um, and he's like, "Do you have any? I, I I can't even comprehend how long it's it's been to live that long." He has another line about about futility and, and the futility of his of his actions and how he he can't get over it. So I mean, there's there is uh elements of this of this vampire that i think are kind of uh restricted by its own nature and kind of at odds with its nature and i think that that's interesting and very herzogian yeah that makes sense um 
Another thing that I think is very Herzogian is the trip that Jonathan takes to get to the castle. Like just these yes. landscapes and like where he's going. Like the honestly, I think some of the best stuff in the movie is just like Bruno Gans walking places. Yeah. yeah, that was awesome. I loved that. It reminded me of a, a Gus Van Sant movie called Jerry that's about uh, Matt Damon and Casey Affleck lost on foot in uh, in like the desert. And it's just a whole lot of landscapes of, of them walking and you really start to feel the the trek and the the expanse of the excursion. Yeah. And I was feeling that here. It, it made it seem like that castle was uh, light years away. It was a whole other world. I love I love the sequence too because you're saying that you know some of the best parts are where people are moving through through landscapes and I think the the scene where Dracula gets in his coffin and uh, you see that high angle shot as he just sort of like ghoulishly <laughs> dude that shot is in and so clo- funny <laughs> closes the lid and then the horses just kind of go by their own agency as though they're driven by this unforeseen force and then he's these guys are rafting him down the river and then finally he gets on this ship with uh, these black sails that looks so ominous and this crimson stripe and there's this low angle flying shot of it moving and then eventually the ship sort of passes through the Bosphorus uh, uh, and then Gibraltar and then it makes it to to Britain and um, it's the way that you see it kind of pull into the canal and everyone's dead and there's the guy who's uh, just tied himself to the wheel, presumably because there was a storm. I mean, that's sort of an old maritime thing. If you were caught in the storm, the captain would tie himself to the wheel so he could go down with the ship and, and keep steering until the very end. Um, I love that. I love that whole sort of that whole sequence. It's so mysterious and so evocative. And I think like that is probably one of my favorite parts in the movie. I got to say, though, that the other shot of Dracula uh, walking around with a coffin when he gets to Britain and is like carrying it around like a kid trying to carry something that's a little too big to carry. And he walks straight to a cemetery is like one of the funniest things they could possibly have done. It's such yeah. a fucking funny image to see him just like walking around like doot, 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 big fucking black coffin over here. Oh, thank God. There's a cemetery for me to hang out in. I'm Dracula. <laughs> how convenient <laughs> oh sick people die over here hell yeah i needed one of those the shots of the rats too coming off the plague ship uh is great i mean i, I read that there was actually a bit of controversy with like the treatment of those rats um there was a dutch sort of animal i think it was dutch uh an animal handler and he said he wouldn't work with herzog again because of the the means by which they dyed the rats a certain color and then uh i think they actually like temporarily boiled them for like Blech. one second or two seconds just to like make their coats bind to a dye better and then that killed like half of them immediately and then uh they dyed them and then i think a lot of the rats like ate the dye and i think they died too so um yeah, there's 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 talk about how that was done kind of unethically. Herzog definitely has a reputation, I think, for having questionable ethics when he makes movies. He, I think he's one of those guys who just has like the goal of making something great and then he does it. And then when you actually peel away the wallpaper and look at the means in which he did it, there's often some pretty questionable results. And a lot of people think that, you know, no movie is ever worth someone dying for or uh and in herzog's movies people have died in making them and um i mean he actually made his bones by sticking around to film a volcanic and uh 
eruption. And he said, all of you who want to stay with me, stay. And all of you who don't, you can like leave. But he, he like stayed to film a volcanic eruption, which was very dangerous. Um, so he's one of those guys who kind of skirts the rules and, and, uh, Sometimes his films are the better for it, but then you kind of have to ethically ask if, if any movie is, is is worth that. And I tend to say no, but he did get some evocative images, but at what cost? Yeah, yeah I'm like he definitely didn't I'm sure he didn't have a permit for any of this shit. Um no, the no, there's, there's all these stories about how he got like like monkeys when he was filming a gire and he like forged a document to like get them from an airport when they were like literally on the runway being loaded off the country and he dressed up as like a veterinarian and insisted they give him the monkeys back like he he does like the most crazy things to to get the movies made um i know like in one case when they were filming a gire like the there was a a flood that happened and like swept a bunch of ships off and i think I don't know if anybody drowned there, but I think somebody drowned in the making of it or somebody. I No, they didn't die in that particular instance, but they were all like swept to like crazy locations. He just puts his people in very dangerous situations. During Fitzcarraldo, someone was actually bitten in the leg by a venomous snake and they had to perform like an amputation. I think with like a, a I think the legend is that it's a chainsaw, but I'm not sure if that's true. Um, but yeah, Damn. there's like wow. all these fuck stories of, of just people being killed on his, on his productions or just like, you know, encountering horrible, <laughs> horrible things. And on one hand, I think he's a very base director, but on the other hand, I think he's uh, uh, pretty reckless. And on I, one I, hand, it's I an example of that kind based. of seventies like and eighties auteur director that doesn't really exist anymore. That would, you know, take those risks. No, that's that's a bummer to me. I might have to retract some of what I said about how he seems. He seems cool. I think I think it's 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 really cool um, and uh, and based that he like that volcano anecdote you said. Mm -hmm. That's cool because he's risking himself and he's telling other people that if they want to also risk themselves, they're welcome to stay. So that's like a consensual risking. But I think mm -hmm. the second you bring someone into it who is vulnerable and can't make that decision, um, like like these rats, I th I think that's that's pretty uh terrible and inexcusable. But I think if you're yeah. if you're just um risking yourself and you're impersonating um you know a vet and you might get arrested, um I think it's cool to impersonate someone and and like risk your <laughs> your own livelihood. But then if he's getting monkeys that he's then going to mistreat on a set <laughs> to make a movie, then I think that that's that's too much for me. Yeah, there is um, there is a really great documentary uh, called The Burden of Dreams, which is about which is an incredible title, but it's about the making of Fitzcarraldo and it kind of uh, catalogs how he went and made the movie. And it also uh, does talk about some of the people who who died in the production. It's worth noting that like a lot of like the extras that he had were like indigenous tribes, people from the area. And I think one of them uh, uh, drowned uh borrowing a, a canoe or something and a few per perish from disease as well uh in the production so yeah there's there's an, a fascinating debate about the ethics of making that movie that kind of goes on in that documentary and i i, I think it's more interesting than the movie itself um but yeah 
Yeah, I that's that's part of why I've really wanted to see that movie. I've heard about that documentary and um and the story of it and I, I kinda just wanna research it and, and watch the movie and then do the documentary and then read more about it because it's so fascinating. Like that's the movie where it's about a real dude who tried to like move a ship over a mountain, right? Yeah. That's what so that movie's he- about? It's about this guy who's played by Klaus Kinski, kind of like unstable, eccentric, and he wants to build an opera house in in South America, but he doesn't have the means to do it. So he becomes, I guess, like a rubber baron because there were so many of them in in those days in South America, and he needs to find rubber trees, but they're he's navigating the Amazon and and, uh, other sort of turbulent rivers and. And uh, because it's so difficult to get around with so many sort of waterfalls and rapids, he decides that he needs to pull a, a steamer ship over a mountain. And uh, he uh, does it like Herzog does it for real, like using uh, pretty much just like simple machines and like logs and, and ropes and pulleys to to pull it over. I know at one point one of these ropes actually like snapped and like hit someone and it's like a like a big sort of wire that snapped and when it you know it goes it horribly um like disfigured this person and cut like a big fucking gash in them so it's he he just like went places to extremely harsh locations and made crazy movies um this movie is i think is relatively tame by comparison relatively tame just like a few instances of animal abuse (laughs) which is (laughs) <laughs> not great not still. tame at all and yeah. in any other movie you know but considering it's in herzog's catalog it's like uh you know he did worse than that that's yeah that's that's kind of a shame i think too i mean um it, it just makes me think of like a film like cannibal holocaust that so often gets criticized for and i think rightly so gets criticized for uh killing you know turtles and and monkeys and and putting that in the movie yeah. um but it all it it's it's just seems like such a double standard that uh ex an exploitation film with a director who uh who isn't as popular and doesn't it doesn't have as much money and clout can be criticized in that way and, and people can refuse to watch it and then there are uh movies like this where, where animals were also abused in the making of it and uh it's 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 just pushed to the wayside and and that that sort of applies outwardly in in all facets of life right where you're able to write one thing yeah. off and then it yeah. doesn't happen for another because of uh artistic purposes or whatever it's very yeah. strange like i know during the during the filming of a, of a gear um the wrath of god kinski was being really difficult and he was gonna like leave the set and i think he had like threatened some people with violence and uh he, he, Herzog still had a movie to make and, and Kinski was going to leave so uh, the legend has it that Herzog actually like held Kinski at gunpoint and made him finish the movie dang <laughs> what is this guy doing this and then is... he was in Star Wars yeah like yeah. modern Star Wars right and then he worked for the Walt Disney Company do we want to get back to Nasratu? That documentary feel also comes out when Jonathan meets the like uh the like village before he goes like over to the castle. And surely Werner yeah. just found like people that actually just sort of like probably live nearby and were like, hey, do you want to go like fuck around in the mountains for a while? And there's a shot while that's happening that I really love when Jonathan says, like, oh, I'm going to see Dracula, and it cuts to like him looking at the rest of the room 
um, and the people cooking are behind him, and then it cuts to the rest of the room, and it's just a whole group of people looking at him like he's fucking crazy. Um, yeah. That shot is great because like it feels like because of the that like documentary feeling approach, like it feels like it's got no artifice to it. Like it was just like a real reaction that you got out of people, and it's just so funny. It's a really well executed like heightening of the like why would you fuck with Dracula mm. feeling that sort of permeates a lot of it. So the question that I was looking to get to, because I want to sort of circle back to some of like what we haven't been able to touch on a ton yet, which is like what the performances are, but like. Klaus Kinski's is kind of like it almost speaks for itself in a way. But Liam, you said you weren't a big fan of Jonathan, and I was wondering why. Yeah, it wasn't an it wasn't an immediate thing, but as the movie went on, um, I just felt like he was um, uh, over overacting, and it just it felt it felt campy to me in a movie that I kind of, to be honest, I kind of wanted some camp in the movie um, because the it is very serious, but I thought he was being campy in a way that um, seemed accidental. Like it, it just felt like uh, a, a bit too theatrical and, uh, and, and big for me. It, it didn't feel like a, it didn't feel like a real dude. Yeah. There's a bit of an uncanny yeah. element to it. That's even true in some of like, the way it's shot like he's walking past these rapids at night when the coach comes by mm. and ultimately picks him up and it's so clearly just like backlit with a big light and i like that theatrical element and some of how it's presented that like it's just big and got deliberate staging but then yeah, some of it doesn't really click like, i didn't think he was great either but it's because it just felt like yeah it just doesn't really feel like a guy <laughs> it feels very strange like most of the characters feel really really hollow um and I think that's part of the limitations of just the, that it's based off this like Victorian novel. And also, I think uh, Herzog also just kind of takes more of a minimalistic approach with this movie. In terms of Renfield, it got to the point where after, after scene one, when he's he's doing that laughing thing, I liked him. I liked, I liked it just fine. But then he just keeps doing it. And the longer he does it, it's like the more I could see the seams and the uh, the the acting behind it, I felt. And so near the end of the movie, I was legitimately like, is this actor joking? Like, is he is he taking the piss out of this movie? Why didn't anyone stop this guy? It was what I was thinking. Because like Klaus Kinski as the vampire, like he's kind of playing it like he's heartbreaking and it feels it feels very, very solemn and and uh and very heartfelt and and i think lucy feels like that as well yeah i i think that's true i i wrote down in my in my notes that i appreciate like the the opening i know you guys both said that it doesn't it certainly doesn't feel like britain and it certainly doesn't feel like it's the 19th century in the locations that he chose and you know what fair enough but i do really like the opening sequence because i think that even though like those domestic scenes have like this kind of 70s naturalism and this this great uh like that kind of charm there is like an undercurrent that something is immediately amiss like right off the bat his wife is very sickly and she's being visited by bats and you can just kind of you can just kind of tell that you know right from the outset that that things are not natural and things are not well and i think that that's just sort of a every great gothic text kind of has to be that way um and this movie is no exception well, and she's got the look down for sure. Why don't you want to talk to the casting for director sure. if you were looking for your gothic 
sort of yeah ideal i think you found it and speaking of theatrical lighting the way that those sort of bat visitations are filmed with like the moonlight streaming in and it looks as though she's almost in like a spotlight it's this oppressive light um that's really wonderful i think it's it's got that sort of uh german expressionism thing going on we keep circling back to that yeah, I, I like the surrealism that was focused on her. And she's so pale, um, and she always has this dark eye makeup on. Um, and it just it feels very um, dramatic and, uh, and uh, symbolic. Um, but then the character behind it, you know, I, I, felt, I felt emotion. And I felt like that was, that was a real person mm. who was somehow like trapped in this surreal world. And like her, her uh, circumstances were being governed for her and she wasn't able to act like a real person. Um, but I felt like there was a real person behind there. It was really, it was, it was really interesting, I guess. Um, I, I just wish I felt that for for the other two characters of that main cast because maybe they're all going for the same thing and I thought that uh, she had it and I thought that Dracul had it but but the other two didn't hit it for me. Yeah, I found a hard time connecting to Lucy even though like I think her performance is like really striking because again like she's got like the big um she's got like big eyes and a very like sort of like awestruck look but so much of it is just sort of like looking or or walking and it, it never it never felt like it transcended like that singular image and felt like more of like a person was like doing something and i think that's like a lot of what this is yeah. um and maybe that's why like some of what herzog does lends itself to documentary so well because it's like the real people are already they they exist fully formed already and his filmmaking is a means of a process of like capturing that individual. Whereas I don't know if there's like a directorial strong suit for him to like craft characters out of like an acting performance. I think he does do that in, in most of his other movies. Um, I think especially in, in his other sort of, in his other like Aguirre, the wrath of God or, or Fitzcarraldo or um, just like so many other, ones to even even bad lieutenant i do think that he uh that his his characters um are kind of are, are driving forces in his other movies and this one they almost they almost feel like placeholders you have lucy who's the victim you have jonathan who's like your affable sort of everyman who's unwittingly pulled and uh, through the borgo pass and into this fanciful castle right he's he's just he's just this dumbfounded man who who needs to turn things around or else he'll lose his family and then you have this um epitome of evil this this shape this this um just again like i keep coming back to a force of nature but that's kind of what he is you have these characters that don't really feel that much like people to me but more like kind of uh like blank canvases and and, and placeholders and i think that maybe when he was making this movie, he assumed that you just had a natural familiarity with who they are. And cause there's, you know, these characters have been adapted like so many times over, um, that, yeah, I think that to me, they all feel a bit bland. Yeah. I think actually like the best job he gets getting like a real human feeling performance out of anybody is the monster. <laughs> yeah. 
like the most as Liam said like the heartbreak and sort of like the pathos that you get out of it is Mm. with Klaus Kinski and I think I think his performance is like unbelievably good and there's something like so immediately felt about how like fucking for want of a better phrase how fucking weird this dude is like it's just so immediately pronounced and the way that he sort of like characterizes it and, and like physicalizes it is so so instantly kind of compelling and speaking of like the mm-hmm. Coppola movie we brought it up a couple of times like their first meeting as an example like it's in such contrast to the Coppola one it's awesome like they feel like such profoundly different ways of approaching like the same scene well, he kind of has that grand Hollywood sweep, you know, where where you you learn about like the backstory and his ancestors, and of course the count goes all into all that in the book, right? But in this, they've dramatized it, and and you know, it's it's in these stark sort of colors, and I think in the Siege of Constantinople, I don't know what what war it is; it's some ancient one, but uh, yeah, and it it builds like all these myths, and in this one, it's just sort of like colliding with this unknown force that. I don't even know why he thinks it's human, but he does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that kind of got me, got me uh, a bit, a bit peeved too. And I think it just shows that the the films, um, the films' ambitions and what it's concerned with are are different than than what I was wanting from it when I watched it. Like I was kind of not bummed out that not only did I not feel attached to Jonathan because of the performance i think um but also because of his character and his 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 blankness of of the character like mitch was saying like when he arrives at the house like i want to know why jonathan is so cool with like the way dracula looks and and his weirdness and i want to know more what jonathan is thinking um and it it just wasn't in my interest, it wasn't enough for me that all these characters were just placeholders. I think that um, I would be much more interested to read about them in the book where they're more fleshed out. And uh, as a movie, I would like them to be fleshed out, if not in the same ways as the book, then in mm. different ways because um, for the movie to just be so visually focused and uh, thematically focused just wasn't enough to to push it over the edge into being a movie that I really enjoyed. Yeah, I think that's, that's totally fair. I mean, say what you will, but I mean, like all of Herzog's movies, this film is like completely uncompromising. And I, I, like, I don't think I would... I don't know if I would want to see it another way because it wouldn't be genuine. Uh, it wouldn't be Herzog, right? But um, I, I see what you mean. I think the more I see it, this movie, the more I appreciate it because there, there is like a lot of subtlety. Um, but there also is like a lot of just sort of uh, blankness and characters that aren't really that interesting. But it's, I think it's more of like a cerebral, almost like like psychedelic experience. This movie, there's, there's, uh, there is like you kind of go into a trance, and I think part of that has to do with like the the music and the way that it's edited, and the textures in each frames and the shadows and the lights. There is almost something that puts you into a trance when you watch this movie, and it is briefly interrupted by just stupid sequences. But, but, um, 
I think that this movie is sort of more experiential and, and less concerned with the fine details. In fact, a lot of those fine details are, are like I said, cut from uh, the book and, and from other adaptations. It, it, this, it's Like I said, it's a more minimalistic thing, and I think it's more about uh, a movie that you feel rather than one that you make uh, like sense of, whereas most of his movies are, are kind of more philosophical, and I think this one still has some of that, but it's also, I feel like, more of a trance or a nightmare. Yeah, and I think that quality of it's like very much intentional, and I think it does sort of add to it. Like, I think if this was trying to just be very like straight ahead, normal stuff, like it would fail pretty mm. spectacularly. But no, yeah. that like that sort of like don't treat this rationally element does do it a favor, does make it a much more like straight ahead cinematic experience, which I think is a more interesting way to look at it anyway. Yeah, that's a great way to put it, Mitch. I I, I do feel like. I- I feel like that's what the movie was going for, and I would um, I would like to see it again at some point. Um, I'm I'm not eager to see it again because of how I came away feeling, but I also could tell that that the movie was was um, operating on a level that I I wasn't fully invested in, and and some movies like that um, totally turn around on me when I, when I see them again, like if this movie was playing at, at our local independent theater that sometimes plays mm. old movies, I would definitely go check it out and try to be won over by it in that way. Um, uh, so it, it's kind of complicated as to like yeah. how I feel. I don't know if I would recommend this movie to someone because I didn't get too much out of it, but I also totally understand someone uh, coming away absolutely loving it and so it would have to be uh it would have to be sort of a specific recommendation um i would have to know someone's tastes and uh and uh know how they how they feel about certain movies in order to give it the go ahead the first time i saw this movie i was pretty mixed i think i gave it like a two and a half or like a three star rating now i'd probably put it to like four out of five i was i was very interested to see how you would react to this movie because there's really not that much like body horror or blood when there is it's it's like pretty fucked up and creepy because it's always like drenched in shadows but it is a very different kind of horror um i I can't think of too many other movies that i've seen do this except for like older silent movies that don't have the advantages of more modern filmmaking and um so I was really interested to see how you would react to it because i i don't know if i can if i can name another horror movie that really um carries itself like this movie does it's unique in that respect for sure a section that really worked for me um in that regard was the end where um where dracul is uh going for the throat uh as he is wont to do of lucy and he sinks in and then he goes for it again and it's really slow and like kind of sexy um I thought that was that was chilling and I thought that the performances there were really interesting unlike anything I've ever seen in a vampire movie it it wasn't um it didn't feel like a, a violent assault but it also didn't feel like it was entirely sexualized like it the looks on their faces and their body language as they were figuring out like what this is and what it meant to each of them I thought was really really interesting and haunting and and yeah. uh seductive and, and cool yeah it, it is a really unique movie in that way 
Yeah, so let's talk about what we're going to do next week. Mitch, I want you to steal yourself. I... <laughs> Did you say I? Mm-hmm. So, because we all know how this went last time. Uh, we're going to have a guest next week. We're circling back around to uh, one of our guest picks. So, um, Ryan will be back on the show. I know got a little contentious in the previous podcast. <laughs> we will address that. Which podcast was that? That was U.S. Marshals. Mm. Really, the bits came fast and furious, not infrequently at Mitch's expense. Yeah. Um, but we will have him back in the fold to talk about Return to Oz, which was his choice. And uh, uh, yeah, I think that was that was William Generode for him. That's it might it have was. been. Yeah. It was his call, be it Genero or otherwise. And um, he says he'll have some background info that he can bring to the table. And also, Mitch, you can, uh, if you so choose, you can show him what for. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm not a vengeful person. Also, like, there's no reason to be. There's no reason to be vengeful. If I if I seem like I've been quiet for this moment it's it's not out of spite or malice or anything like that it's just the fact that there's an abnormal delay and i i that's exactly what someone feeling spite and malice would say you think so well i guess we'll just have to find out if there's any uh leftover in the woodworks that's all i'm saying we'll have to see how it goes we're building how it goes maybe Maybe I take off the gloves and uh, show this little punk that he can't come on my podcast and piss on my fucking rug. <laughs> uh, folks, you're not going to want to miss this. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Um, Mitch, I know you're about 15 seconds away from me, but do you have anything you want to plug? Oh, uh, yeah. Dragoo. Slamming in the back of my Dracula. Uh, Liam, do you have anything you'd like to plug? I have a film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallo. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mr. Corey Price. You can find all the podcasts I do in one unique location. It's Mortal Kombat Conquest.ca. Uh, there is MK Podcast with our friend Neil about a variety of Mortal Kombat, Ephemera, and occasionally other fighting games of various descriptions. There's Strat 2, an infrequent F1 podcast I did with our friend Callum. All of that again, MortalCombatConquest.ca. And our show is also listed on that website as well. Thank you all once again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, which is all one word, and on Letterboxd at TMAO. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher Breaker, and everything else as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and who is the throat goat. Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jay Dickinson. You can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches. And with all that out of the way, we're going to return to Oz next week. And they made another one.